Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. In this week's episode, I'll be speaking to one of the most renowned singer-songwriters in Canadian musical history. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Joel Plaskett. From rocking Halifax's Marquee Club to performing for the masses around the world and sharing the bill with other Canadian power bands, including Sloan and The Tragically Hip, over almost three decades, Joel Plaskett has forged a reputation as one of Canada's most engaging and beloved performers. He's won multiple awards, including Juno's, Canadian Folk Music Awards, East Coast Music Awards. He's just the best. I love Joel, and I'm walking into his studio in Dartmouth right now to meet him for the first time, and I can't bloody wait. Hi, Joel. James. Great to see you. You too. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. Nice to have you here. Welcome. Oh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll say... We'll... Elbow knock from a distance. And, yeah. Virtual hugs yes, all around. Yes, exactly. Lovely. Yeah. Wow, this yeah. is incredible space. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's tidy for you today. Oh, that's yes. very kind of you. Yeah, we set up so we could have a chat. That's uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, but no, it's a nice big room. Sure. Wow. This is literally where the magic happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, magic and failed experiments as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it's a, it, this was an old... Uh, mm. Uh, st this was an old storage facility uh, for fur coats. Wow. <laughs> so it's a big, big space. Um, uh, it was like a refrigerated locker back in the day <laughs> to store fur coats, so we've turned it into a, a music room. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice. It keeps it cool on a warm day. Yes, it does. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's pretty insulated from the outside world. Occasionally you can hear, like, a car horn go off and... <laughs> Add some character to a record. And then yeah. you just, yeah, here, I'll do another take. Yeah. Happy days, yeah. Exactly. It's your place, you're not having to pay by the hour. Yeah, it's exactly, yours. yeah, yeah. Um, can I ask, starting at the beginning, what you remember uh, about growing up in Nova Scotia? Oh, okay. Um, well, there's, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, uh, my brain is full of memories. That's all it is, most of the time. Um, I grew up in Lunenburg, uh, Nova Scotia. Uh, from the age of four till I was 12, and then we moved to Halifax, to the suburbs, to Clayton Park. So I have really, really vivid memories of Lunenburg. Previous to that, we were also, we were in like the valley. I was born in Berwick, um, Home Bay and this and that, but I don't, I don't have really clear memories. I, you know, you know that weird place where you, uh, where you're not sure if it's a memory or it's just a photograph that you looked <laughs> yeah. at? It's more photographs at that right. point. Um, but Lunenburg, I have these really, uh, I mean, I kind of know that town like the back of my hand. And, uh, and what, when I think of it, one of the, my favorite things about it, uh, you know, my, my dad's a big heritage yeah. buff, and, I, and I've, I've got a deep appreciation for old buildings and stuff that I've sort of inherited from him. Lunenburg, because it's a world UNESCO site, mm -hmm. 
now is sort of frozen in time yeah. uh, in terms of the houses and what you can do there on a development level, which uh, is kind of great because I can walk down the street and I'm like, hasn't changed here? One? You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a very, you know, there's different, different, the town's not as busy with fishing and things like that. Right. But it is neat that visually uh, there's a lot of really still remaining visual reminders where a lot of my memories in Halifax have actually kind of... The, the physical spaces are gone. Right. You know? So, uh, anyway, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, I, I guess it, obviously it was a, obviously a very happy upbringing and you've inherited that kind of love of, of place from your dad. Um, you know, how do you think that kind of has, has inspired you throughout life, that kind of love of, of, of place and of specifically this place? Well, I mean, I've felt really fortunate here. I've had mm. opportunities. So that's, that's part of it. Um, mm. And my childhood in Lunenburg was like very uh, relatively like free and easy. It was that kind of town where you'd just walk to school by yourself at five, you know? Right. You'd just walk across town, we'd go off into the woods or what have you, and mm -hmm. just, you know, I would just go bicycling by myself at 10 years old to Mahone Bay, <laughs> which I would, you know, now the, the, the kids don't move as sort of, there's more cars and yeah. I guess sort of more perceived danger as to whether there is or not, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I feel very at home here, just because uh, I don't, I don't really know uh, any different. Uh, right. But I also have traveled so much that I've experienced other places, which has given me an attachment to this place. I think if I was, if I felt trapped here, mm. um, I might engage it differently. But I've, I've always felt like I've had opportunities to explore. Um, and uh, and that's not to say somebody who stays here their whole life doesn't love it too. I yeah. just mean I've, I've I've been able to get my love of traveling through my my work. Too, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, Which has sure. allowed this place to be to remain sort of a a refuge. Yeah, a magical kind of place to come back yeah, to. Yeah, and, yeah, and then a fam familiar sort of place and, and, and a place that's sort of, I don't know, you know, and you get to know a lot of people. Yeah. Which is... is uh, you, you know everyone. Hey? Well, I don't know about that, but I, I you know, uh, I, I feel like when I'm walking down the street, rarely do I not recognize someone. Right. Um, and uh, and so that familiarity is, um, is by and large a good thing every once in a while, you know. <laughs> what about when you were starting out in the music industry and obviously, you know, your father Bill was a musician and I'm guessing that's what kind of inspired you to follow that path, but did you ever feel there was... Uh, anything, um, any disadvantages to being on the east coast of Canada um, when you were starting out and trying to break through? Um, well, I when when I started out, I was in a band called Thrusher. Mm. We we started playing when we were 15, 16 years old, and right. we started gigging downtown with other bands. You know, at 16, 17, we were opening for Sloan. They were getting going. We were in the right place at the right time, the scene. Yeah. And so we signed a publishing deal, and then we signed a record deal, and we toured America. And, mm -hmm. um, and we left, you know, when we, when we left high school, we made sort of a pact to not go to university for the first year so we could go and right. um, make noise and try and uh, take advantage of these opportunities that were in front of us. Um, and so we kind of hit the ground running, yeah. had some success, you know, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't massive success, but it was enough to keep us interested. And, right. and certainly, over the seven years that we spent touring, from, mm -hmm. for me, from the age of eighteen to twenty-five, mm -hmm. I kind of I sort of went, well, this is what I now know how to do. Right. I love music. Yeah. Um, I like performing. Mm -hmm. um, I like the con uh, the connection that it uh, allows me to feel with other people that I don't know. Right. Um, 
I think that's maybe what uh, has kind of kept me in the game was, um, I mean, there, there's always a certain amount of ego you have to, you bring to the stage sometimes, or certainly that's been the case, you know. And, <laughs> but but ultimately, like, and so I do like to perform. I like, I, you know, I like to I like to entertain. Right? Yeah. Um, as I know you do too, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but I also love the feeling that when you're playing music uh, or when you're performing or what mm-hmm. have you, when people get together to congregate to, right. to, and they don't know each other and they have a shared experience. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, I'm sharing that experience with them. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel um, connected to people that I don't know and in a way that uh, um, makes you not feel so alone, I suppose, because yeah. the world has this sort of way of, if you can feel quite isolated, yeah. uh, I, I still really value congregation. I think that's what's hard about this COVID era right now for musicians and entertainers and stuff is there's that sort of desire to go out and connect. You know? Yeah, for sure. And, and and on that, I mean, that, this period, of course, as you say, is, is difficult for people, um, you know, creatively, financially, all of those reasons. Uh, what do you think it is that, that audiences and performers miss most about that kind of uh, shared experience that they're... I mean, I think it's, I, I, if anything, I, I, I can't help but feel like it's the, um, uh, random's the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the fact that you don't know what you're, you might go out knowing what to expect, but yeah. every time you go out and you involve yourself with other people in a physical space, mm-hmm. usually there's something that goes, well, I wasn't expecting that, or that was really cool and that happened, and now you have this, like, um, memory in time and space yeah. that kind of, leaves a mark on your memory. And it's not to say that that can't happen on Zoom. Mm. But I don't think it's as readily, uh, I don't think it's as evocative. Right. I don't, you can still have make a connection, have a great conversation with somebody or you know, people play shows on Zoom and I'm sure there's some degree of connection that goes on there. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's something about like, Going like, yeah, you remember the smell in the air when we walked, when we rolled into Sudbury or whatever, and you know the meal we had at that. You know, you have your whole, you yeah. have you have this sequential thing that happens that lays itself out your day, and that involves other people too, and sometimes people that you weren't expecting to run into, and then there's the people who show up at the show. Yeah. So like these these markers add up to something like really uh, like a deeper weave that makes you feel human. Yeah, you yeah, know, or and, like and, and connect or connected, I suppose. Yeah, and it's like the interconnectedness, and it's that thing that I think this downtime, uh, or 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 strange time, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, is a reminder of. It's also a good time to sort of like step back from that and like try and make ourselves more resilient on our own as well, um, because true. I think you can get dependent on that mm-hmm. stimulation too. I certainly. F- felt that way for the first bit of this mm-hmm. pandemic I was like I didn't know who I was yeah when was when, when when the when the stage was taken away yeah. from the kind of my monthly routine where yeah. you know, I'm always gearing up to go somewhere or do something and I had a record that just dropped and we were about to tour it and all of a sudden gear it down and I'm just sort of like staring at a wall sort of having to ask myself like, who am I? Yeah, yeah, it was weird, yeah. really weird. Yeah. Was that that must have been very hard that you've you've been working on what many have said is your magnum opus, and you've you know come out with this. I mean, it's it's you know, colossal. It's long. It's long, and it's, and it's incredible. Yeah. And I think as as David Miles uh, said to you, it's like what's amazing. It's, it's some people might be able to come up with forty four tracks, but you came up with forty four amazing tracks. Well, like there's not like it's not you know it's 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 you know it's just brilliant throughout to work on something for that long. 
and then to come out with it and then suddenly the world shuts down. Was there any moment when you thought about holding back the release or how did that go and, and what was your mindset like? Well, I, um, yeah, I, we thought about delaying the release, first right. of all. We discussed that and it was sort of like, okay, let's delay it. Okay, let's not. Oh, okay, let's delay it. Okay, let's not. It was about four like conversations <laughs> yeah. over the course of like a week because I sort of saw this thing coming, you know? Yeah. Like you could see the world sh shutting down. Yeah. Um, and so we decided to release it regardless. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't change that because the record's so long to engage it requires time. That's true. Uh, and, and so, and so it, it met people at a moment where they were at home probably, you know, and so the people that did engage it had more time and space they, in their life to engage. They to listen to it as it was intended. So there, sure you, there was a strange, yeah. uh, like, irony is the wrong word, but uh, synchronicity, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I would say that, you know, funnily, um, what I was thinking about, and I'm still thinking about, but leading up to that record, and part of what I was trying to document was a number of years, and also this sort of acceleration of time mm. that I felt in my 40s, wow. um, and, and, and with the world, and like kind of a desire to slow things down, while at the same time, like I'm a really verbose person. Mm. So the 44 songs is like this kind of like, you know, they're trying to like, I'm throwing stuff into the spin and I felt like I'm kind of caught in the spin so I have things to say right. or to write about or whatever. But there's a desire there to kind of like, to reflect and to actually get into long form, yeah. you know? To, that That's was part of the desire with the record was to have a long form exploration of my, of a sort of imaginative place, you know? Yeah. Some stuff ought to, Biograph, autobiographical, other things that were sort of like, just sort of imaginative or something. And so I wanted to do something that was kind of, but when it when the pause happened, <laughs> the the you know with COVID, um, it was frustrating because we were about to go out and sort of tour it, which would in some ways is kind of when you start to feel there's the release of the album, mm. but when you perform the album, that's when the release comes for me. Like right. when, I, when I perform the record is when I'm kind of letting go of the songs. They're no longer just recordings. They become, uh, th you're not just dealing with one performance, which is your recording. Yeah, your recording yeah. is the performance by which somebody goes, oh, it's a good or a bad song. Or, That's a good performance or a bad. Mm -hmm. But when you go and you play it every night, it's, it's now alive in its own way and it exists outside of the record and you're kind of released from the record. Wow, you know, in some ways, from the from from the fixed point in time, yeah. because one of the things that I think is uh, challenging about uh, the world mm -hmm. is that we're often trying to fix things in time and space, yeah. right? And 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 so we go, this is what you said, and it's like, well, yeah, that was the way I felt that day, or whatever, you know. So so mm -hmm. you're always changing, and it's not to say that you don't uh, try and. Uh, uh, you know, go, you know, these, this represents me or what have you. That's, but, but the idea that things evolve, I think, is important. Yeah. Um, and that maybe a song can change. It can change in the, from the meaning from when it was written, changes once it's in the listener's hands, yeah. and it changes for me as I'm singing it. So that kind of got eliminated, uh, um, uh, or not eliminated, but, but stalled, that yeah. release. Well, it's now, it's, it's, yeah, does it feel then it's in a, in a kind of a, a purgatory moment when it can't quite... Exactly. Yeah, yeah it was like purg purgatory a little bit. But then after about a month of really, or maybe more like two months of kind of feeling sorry for myself, <laughs> and that still comes and goes, yeah. you know, um, was sort of the recognition that um, maybe I, I do 
place some stock in things that uh, things happen for a reason. You just don't know what they are. And of course, you sort of can make the reason. If you can look at things from the other side of the coin, then all of a sudden you take a situation that was in one way frustrating and you flip it and go, well, what's the positive side of this? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, and so the, the pandemic's done that to so many people. It's mm-hmm. caused that, that sort of, um, I'm not, you know, everyone's using the word pivot. If I have to say it again, like just, know, you know, yeah. like, fu- like, like make me pay 10 bucks if I say it again. <laughs> um, but, but you know, it does, it does kind of, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I sort of viewed it as a, the, the record found an intre- an audience in a different way because of the pandemic. And I will always associate that record now with this time. At what point did you know that 44 was going to be what it was? <laughs> um, like there was sort of a point, maybe a year before it was done, mm. uh, or not. Yeah, I guess maybe a year or eight, ten months before I kind of finished it. Mm. I'd had a bunch of tunes. Um, I'm always sort of recording. Uh, if I get an idea, I often try and often will want to document it wow. relatively quickly or demo it, you know. And because the you know the the the, the luxury of having a space yeah. is being able to sometimes. I mean, this is a commercial studio, so it gets rented by other people as well. Um, but when there's time available, I'll come in and I'll often like work on something. So I had a bunch of different kinds of tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really know what kind of record it would make. I didn't know if it would be a band album, a solo record, something with some different people. I, I, I was just sort of, any one time I tried to look at the songs as a single record, mm-hmm. I felt like it, it didn't interest me. Interesting. And I couldn't figure out how the songs were going to sit beside each other. Uh-huh. Um, and then as more songs and then there were some covers that I was thinking about. And it sort of grew to maybe like, tw- there was maybe 20, 25 things kind of kicking around. And then I, you know, I was thinking about, um, like my record three was one of my more, uh, was, was certainly was my most successful record. Yeah. Um, and a fun one to make because it had these, these, this, I've always liked, like with every record, I try and put a parameter around it. Wow. And, and depending on the frame, then that informs the way I go about doing it. Um, and three being a triple record was like three nines. I try it like I love numbers, right? I'm so pretty into numerology. Um, and it's a sort of a kind of, it's not really obsessive compulsive, but I love balance, right? I yeah. love symmetry. Um, and so that to me was, so I was thinking about, I, I said, you know, three was there in the back of my mind. And then I realized, okay, like I was talking with Sherry, my manager, and we were trying to plan when this record of whatever I was making was going to come out. It's like, all right, well, let's release it. Um, you know, and during I, a pandemic, during, well, not during, <laughs> during a pandemic, but, but I realized it was going to come out while that, like I was making much of the record and it was going to come out while I was 44. Right. And I'd been writing these songs. I've been thinking about my forties and these kinds of things in the songs or what mm-hmm. have you, you know, these, and I realized like okay, 44 and like, I, you know, I was like the balance of that, the 11s, yeah. Of the 33, 11s, and I was like, it's 11 years since I made three. I could sort of suddenly see this sort of like window to the past right. and to the present. Yeah. Um, and I went, oh, that's kind of like, maybe is that too much? And then I, then I looked at the songs. I thought I would do it. Well, I don't have 44 songs, but I got a bunch. I got 20 or 25. If these were going to be on different records, yeah. where would they sit? Or what it would look like. So I took a few songs and I went, these ones make sense. This, this is, and then I started to take a few songs and imagine a mock sequence. I do this, it's all in steps. So yeah. I would, I'd start to sequence. 
what I had. And that's not to say that's even the sequence that's on the record now. It was, it's always a moving kind of thing. But you start to kind of go, okay, I could start. That could, that's an opening volley or this could work. Mm-hmm. So you start to see what the painting could be. And then I realized, well, if I want to tell something long form, mm-hmm. if I want it to feel like a, a journey, and, it, and I want it to be a journey for myself. Like mm-hmm. I don't really know where this is going to end. I, I decided I wanted to go to Memphis to do some work because I'd recorded there in the 90s with Thrush Hermit. Right. Um, and there's a few musicians down there that are really... I have a lot of admiration for. I wanted to work with them, and I went to Nashville and did some stuff on that same trip. Recorded a couple songs in Toronto, and then most of it here. We mixed it all here. Yeah. Um, all these kind of like threads coming together, and um, and so you start to kind of zoom in, and then start, songs start showing up. Yeah. And often the way this is sort of the way I work with three, so and and with other records too. I get the frame. Yeah. And I go, well, what's missing? Or what does it need? And then, mm-hmm. uh, or I don't even necessarily intellectually think that all the time it that becomes apparent right. and often the writing just sort of sends me to to what feels like needs to change mm-hmm. and then you start to see connections lyrically and then sometimes the last little bit of it is when you're going i don't have a i don't have a second verse for that tune <laughs> and then i go well what have i been writing well, like and then you go and then you can start sort of stealing a word or two or a phrase and you can start recycling Wow. And then, the, and then you, then the weave gets a little deeper, and all of a sudden, um, so a lot of lyrics show up yeah. um, across it, and so I, I like that. I've always where I kind of got an admiration from that from was uh, growing up loving uh, Chuck Berry's uh, sort of uh, songs, his the, the language that he used, and the way that he kind of evoked these similar things all the time and would ref- almost refer to yeah. his own songs. And then Bruce Springsteen, I think probably taking a page from Chuck, right. did the same sort of thing. So I that idea of a world, yeah. right? of creating kind of a world. Uh, and so that's kind of how, there's the long spiel of how 44 kind of turned into what it was. Yeah. Real, and, then, and, then I, and then it became very, very deeply linked to the artwork. Right, um, which is beautiful as which, well. Which I was really uh, excited about mm. and, and still for me is like the, of, is really kind of close to my heart in terms of the way it was put together because um, mm. it's sort of a shelf that we created. It's out in the lobby. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's good. And it's, got, it's, it's, not, it's sort of not in full flight right now, but it mm. has memories of people. There's songs for people, friends that I'd lost on the record and right. this and that. And so there's these kind of, it's like a memory shelf to kind of take me it's like a portal for me to kind of recall people and places and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that became part of the art. And then what was really interesting was there's this moment really late on the record where I was still recording the last few songs. We'd already shot a bunch of the artwork and we did the final bit of the art. Um, and all of a sudden, the last few songs were informed by the art. Not, wow. not, not, not like, so it worked, it, yeah, it, it kind of looped was. around on itself. Yeah. And so to me, that was... One of the things I'd never really experienced where, because normally art is the last thing you do. You've done your record, it's mastered. All right, let's figure out the art. But yeah. This was like, these, the, la- the home stretch of this was happening at the same time. And so um, there was uh, a lyric on one of the last songs, on the last song on the record, like twin moons and missing friends reflecting in the lens. Mm. And there was this thing that happened when we took the, the shot of the cover, which is this shelf backlit through a window on a, in a, in, on a, on a, on a field, on a cliff in Cape Breton. And we, f- and I did this light painting of the word 44 using, and it was a long exposure with a flashlight. It was a film on a film camera. And the, and the lens caused the 44 to flip and invert in blue. You can see this reflection show up in reverse. So 44 upside down in the bottom of the image because of the way the light 
reflected off the lens and created this th magic in the photograph. Amazing. I always thought that was super cool. And so that kind of got written into this lyric. Yes. And so I think of these kind of, <laughs> so there's all these weird little things that most people wouldn't pick up on, but I sort of am reminded of if I kind of look at it the way it was put together. Yeah. It's incredible, but with all of those moving parts and, and all of those different elements, how do you know and how did you know when it was done? Well, <laughs> there was a deadline. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I will say that, like, um, I don't... Um, I don't really... You know, I, I go through moments of feeling pretty ba feeling balanced, but I don't mm. necessarily hold on to it for very long. Usually no. when I'm doing things, whether that's making a record would be probably the more, I, I feel like that's when I'm kind of often most out of balance, but really driven to create right. because it takes a certain, um, I hesitate to use the word selfishness, but it does, it does un unfortunately impact your life. If you're hyper-focused on something, you can't bring that, uh, you can't always bring yourself back to the dinner table in a really successful way. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, it kind of takes over um, mm -hmm. my, th my life in some ways when I'm on the home stretch of something or if I'm really deep in it. And, and then the road has its own imbalance too because you go out and you're kind of used to this, this, this um, sequential order that you have to your life. You have this form to your day that's really satisfying. Yeah. And, then you, and then you get home and that form is changed yeah, and, you're, and, 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 yeah. and nobody applauds when you do the dishes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nor should they, yeah. you know? Um, and so uh, that kind of, um, so it kind of, it can push you to and fro, you know? Yeah. Um, yet I love the process of making records. I mean, I, I like producing things for other people. For yeah. The same thing. I love that focus on the finish line. What's this about? Why are we doing this? Right. It gets deeper. It gets more meaningful. Um, it's still just something to do, yeah. but it's important. When it's happening, if it feels important, then it kind of is mm -hmm. because it's the memory of doing it and it's the idea that you're going to have something to show or to mm -hmm. do. Even if, it's, even if it's just for yourself, it's, it's, it, there's something, I think, uh, really important, uh, for me at least. I don't know. It's a self-expression thing, but it's the idea of trying to communicate to and maybe express something that I don't even know what it is. And then if you sort of somehow abstractly do that, mm -hmm. um, somebody finds something in there and now you have something in common, even if you don't, even if it's not, even if you're interpreting something different. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that, that sort of, I don't know how I got to there from your question. Uh, and I don't even know if I answered your question. You did, it made sense. What do, uh, you asked to get lots of fans coming to you with their own interpretations of what they take uh, from the music. Um, how often do they get it right? And uh, what does it mean to you to kind of hear those, um, hear those insights that are so personal? Well, I mean, I get sometimes people tell, you know, uh, it's usually a song that maybe somebody would say, you know, this was our, I mean, people, like there's a few songs that have become people's wedding songs. And yeah. that's deeply meaningful, you know, mm. it's really, really cool. I don't always know what to. It's always nice hearing stuff, mm -hmm. um, and and sometimes and it's it's funny though how sometimes I think I'm being either very clear or kind of explicitly <laughs> saying yeah it's this, and somebody goes I thought it was that, and it's like oh wow okay, and then and then you realize like interpretation is 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 everything. Yeah. I saw this I saw this uh, this like YouTube video that somebody pointed out to me. I showed it to my son today. It's, the, it's these like six or eight, eight balls in a circle. They're, they're making a circle and they're going around 
bouncing in, on the screen like this, and it looks like they're rotating, but they're actually all the balls themselves are just traveling on straight lines. Oh, if you could look it, look it <laughs> yeah, up, it's yeah. a way of showing perspective where yeah. you think this whole thing is rotating, but the balls themselves are not that make up the circle aren't. They're just traveling on straight lines, yeah. back and forth. Um, and so to me, it's like a, it's, it's an example of perspective. Yeah. And you think you're spinning in a circle and somebody goes, no, you're just moving sideways. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, That's a perfect metaphor for exactly that. And yeah. so, and, 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 and it's weird because when you take that into the world now, it mm. can kind of really unseat the way you feel about things for at least temporarily, yeah. which isn't a bad thing. Like, I feel like it's always... <laughs> It can be strange to think, oh, I've been really misinterpreted or mm. somebody took this. And, you know, and, you know, I mean, it's like people take song, you know, I mean, Bruce Springsteen had Born in the USA kind of co-opted by Ronald Reagan at the time mm. in some fashion, yeah, you know, yeah. and he didn't write it that way. Yeah. You can't really, once you put something out into the world, um, it's going to be something different to everybody. That's not to say you want your message co-opted, yeah. um, but you can't fully control it. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so there's sort of a lesson in, I guess, just, um, you know, there's always a risk involved, <laughs> but by and large, what I find really cool is what, is that people, um, when a song resonates, when you can see it happening live, it's really remarkable. Yeah. Um, where, when you can feel a certain song really crest with an audience, yeah. um, uh, and 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 that can be with a lot of people or with just a few. Yeah. And actually, sometimes it can be really heightened. Like I, for me, more and more, um, it's like I try and tune into the audience, but you also occasionally kind of go into your own head. I'm sure you yeah. like right when you're yeah. performing, right? Yeah. You sort of you go into this kind of different. It's like a higher state almost. Yeah, yeah. and and you feel like um, it can be really. Uh, can really it's invigorating it's an adrenaline rush yeah uh it can be really emotional sometimes mm. um and a bit on uh, it can unseat you a bit but it can mm. also help you reach a higher like a different point of view yeah. on what you're doing and you realize all right I, when i was writing this i thought i was just doing that mm. now it's doing this you know in march 2006 when nowhere with you really kind of exploded how did that feel, and did it kind of uh, did it feel different to the previous success you'd had? At the time, it was I didn't register it in. I mean, it it it, it did feel different, I suppose, but it was still quite gradual. And and I mean, and I appreciate using the word exploded. Oh, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it didn't it didn't it you know it wasn't an international hit. Well, it was in a Zeller's ad well, that was really really or that was very popular. Uh, and it, and as a result, radio stations wait. I think what happened was the the the, the radio guy at my was like, hey, you know that song in the Zeller's ad? Can you add that to the station? Oh yeah, it sort of was already out there right. in a very successful ad campaign. A Zeller's ad in Canada uh, is, is is Canada Super Bowl. It, it was a big so. deal. It was Canada Super Bowl at the time. So it. It, 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 it put it in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of groundwork that sort of led to being able to run with that. Yeah. Um, it was neat to have a song that suddenly sort of uh, was on radio stations that had never, ever played me. So, like, because it, it went into sort of, like, the the middle of the dial, like, office, uh, in the office right. uh, radio station, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was neat because all of a sudden that song kind of registered with people who maybe had no idea who I was. But mm -hmm. we had... Um, you know, when, when Thrush Hermit broke up in 1999, mm. I had already made a solo record called A Need of Medical Attention yeah. and had started doing some gigs with a five-piece version of The Emergency. My drummer, Dave Marsh, who still plays with me, 
um, uh, and is one of my like oldest collaborators and, and friends. Um, he was part of that band. Anyway, when when the Hermit called it quits at the end of '99. Um, uh, Dave and I and Timmy Brennan I had some new songs I, had, I wanted to sort of make a rock record which became Down at the Kyber Tim Brennan came back to town joined on bass we made a three-piece band and um, started recording stuff uh, down on Barrington Street at the Kyber building oh, um, which okay. is vacant right now but, yeah. the, but, but, but and so we made a record called Down at the Kyber there and started touring um, and I had an audience uh, a small audience from the Hermit Right. already there so we could go to Toronto and play to 150 200 people yeah. and had and I had an opportunity to get some good opening slots mm-hmm. so we did that then we did truthfully truthfully which is another emergency mm-hmm. record um, and and then I went and made a record called Lottie Da which was a solo record mm-hmm. in Arizona but one of the things that happened on the tail end of truthfully around the time of Lottie Da I can't remember exactly but we got an invite to open for the tragically hip on Canada Day in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and we did. We had a good show, and we yeah. did well. I think. I think we did well in front of the hip's audience, who uh, we uh, we had heard could be sort of notoriously fickle in their desire just to see the hip and no one else. Right. <laughs> um, and we we had a good gig, uh, and so a number of months later, we got the call and said, "Do you want the national tour with the hip?" Right. So we toured nationally, opening for the hip in mm-hmm. hockey arenas, the Metro Center here mm-hmm. or the Scotiabank Center now, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and so that put us in front of a lot of people. Yeah. And so when Nowhere With You got in the Zellers ad, this sort of work had been done. Right. And, we, and I could, we could pack clubs across Canada in, yeah. some, in varying levels of packed. You yeah, know, yeah. You know, or of size. I so you, you were ready. We, we were, we were yeah. ready. We were a club band, but mm-hmm. we had played an arena now, and yeah. we had played with basically one of the biggest touring bands. Mm-hmm. And I have to give like a huge shout out to the hip and and mm-hmm. and um, and you know, and in memory of Gord too, who was like yeah. watched our show from side stage most nights when we were playing. Wow. And, um, was really, really uh, a great champion for Canadian music, and, mm-hmm. and helped us so much. Um, so we. Yeah, so nowhere with you hit and mm-hmm. uh, like and, and kind of hit radio, and so we c- kind of just capitalize on that, for lack of a better word, um, and we and then and that that record that that EP that we did that nowhere with you was on was produced by Gordy Johnson who was in Big Sugar, um, and so Gordy produced three songs for us and then he did our next record Ashtray Rock, oh, yeah. and I learned a lot working with Gordy's really good engineer and producer um and i as sort of an aspiring producer myself at that time Mm -hmm. was working with like two hours traffic who were a band from prince edward island at the time you know a lot of the things that i sort of learned from watching that that gordy was saying to me i kind of saw oh there's some wisdom there and those became some production tricks i could take into my own work and i had you know and i developed my own little bag of tricks that i could um and and so you know you kind of learn about arrangements and what's effective and one thing that Gordy has a real sense of because Big Sugar were they could play they were playing big shows you know was the kinds of things you do in production that reach the back of the room like I'm I'm a big fan of like idiosyncrasy and little detailed nuance and stuff and maybe a joke that nobody gets (laughs) Gordy was like 
get that out of the way and hit the tom-tom right here. Don't have anything in the way. And in the back of the room, a beer's going to get cracked or whatever. You know what I mean? It was like he had a way of like going, this is how you push this idea right to the back. Yeah. And it kind of, you know, in a a very kind of classic rock or stand up straight and tall sort of. And and that doesn't come totally naturally to me because I'm a bit of a slouch, you know? (laughs) Um, But but it was a good lesson and I've sort of taken that and tried to apply it to things now and then Um, and uh you know sort of 2010 11 and that's sort of when really that's like on the three tour we played massey hall that was sort of and that's still the and then we did it on the solidarity tour as well and so that was the biggest biggest venue really in terms of like prestige and or or it's the wrong word just just sort of reputation i guess it's a fairly you know it's an iconic venue to be able to play that as a headliner was really it was meaningful, you know, because yeah. it just meant like, okay, it was like connected with enough people. Did it feel like this is yeah? Did it feel like a kind of we've 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 made it? it was it was it that point or? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've always felt like I I, I rarely can. In, I'm trying more to enjoy things in the moment, and I do enjoy the moment of being on stage. Yeah. But, the, but I, I but you know I mean, you don't really know what you're doing when you're in it. I, right. I still don't. Uh, I'm trying more and more to like. Uh, detach myself a little bit um, uh, and 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 but then of course like if you detach yourself then you run the risk of like not enjoying it too right Right. so it's a weird thing it's but it's this idea that it's like when something's really joyful you're like when something's painful you're like this will pass and but there's also you have to remember when something's really joyful it's like this too shall pass you know and so you kind of have that uh uh, you balance between those and and so and and in a desire to um maybe be more balanced sometimes, uh, but also recognizing that your ability to get out of, or the, if you can hold yourself yeah. in an awkward place or in a, in a, if you can teeter a little bit, you can also do really, you, you do things that you wouldn't have done when you were in balance, <laughs> right? Yeah, so if you, because you have to recover or you have to, you have to figure out how to like, well, if this is, these are the cards I'm playing right now, then yeah. like, let's make it as interesting as you can. Yeah. So uh, I just kind of, I like that. Uh, I like that teeter-totter, but more yeah. and more uh, as I get older and as I'm kind of trying to like uh, slow the pendulum mm. a bit and, and, and not uh, still work hard, but not... Um, not get really wrapped up in any one moment and thinking that's like a definitive thing. And is that why you had so many collaborators on 44? And again, collaborations with people that you haven't worked with for a few years, bringing them yeah. back. Was, was that all part of that kind of uh, thought process? Um, yeah, not consciously at first and then maybe consciously when right. I realized like, okay, like that song I have to play with, with Dave Marsh, who plays drums with me, because <laughs> Dave has a way that he plays and it's a thing that he brings. But the challenge is navigating your your friendships and allegiances to people, and my band included, who have been really... I mean, I, I don't want to even say my band, because it's our band when we're right. playing together, you know? Um, uh, uh, and it's, that's really important to me. It's valuable that I've been able to play music with the same two people for so many years. Yes. Uh, um, but I also have this desire to, like, get surprised by other th- people or to mm-hmm. sometimes follow my nose on my own because um, I, uh, I, get, I sometimes feel like getting hung up on uh, decision-making or 
<laughs> democracy <laughs> yeah. uh, in a studio. It doesn't doesn't. It's like it's hard to finish. It's hard to get to the finish line. Yeah. So I I'll sometimes take it upon myself just to try and like kind of not solicit opinions. Yeah. Until I kind of want to hear them, and that's maybe yeah. a bit. There's something a little uh, maybe selfish about that, but it's kind of I. It's like I feel like I just have to. I got to put some structure around stuff to. To, or else I won't get stuff done because I'm somebody who will, I take stuff, like, I, you know, I'll take stuff to heart. Yeah, yeah, and it's just going to slow down the whole process. Yeah, it slows yeah. it down. And yeah. then when you're doing something like 44 songs, it does become a sort of, there is a sort of kind of a point where you want to see a check mark on a piece of Bristol board, like that is <laughs> yeah. done, that's done, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So what's your favorite song to perform live on stage? <laughs> Hard to answer, changes nightly to some degree. Um, uh, but I d uh, there's ones I don't get tired of playing. Mm -hmm. um, through and Through and Through is a really fun one because it has this back and forth vocal that, right. that we recorded with Rose and Anna there on the That's record. Great. And so when you said, you know, good things come to those who wait and you can see the audience <laughs> like singing it. Yeah. Uh, that to me is is like a really joyful one. And then there's introspective ones um, or, or not introspective is the wrong word, but just maybe softer uh, mm. or more nuanced ones that aren't as rock and roll. There's a song called Captains of Industry yeah. from Park Avenue Sobriety Test that yeah. I've always liked playing yeah. because of the melody and the words and it, it always feels feels um right there's something about performing and i don't know if you can like if you feel this way but and this is what's strange about the zoom era that we're in or this pandemic era yeah the few things i've done in a live stream situation is like um you feel like you have to act because there's no audience there yeah um and so i feel like i'm more of an actor when i'm by myself in a room where i feel like i have to act maybe yeah. that's just a self-imposed thing live you're acting too, you're, or you're performing. It's yeah. performative. So what I like about songs is they allow me to go into a different headspace and to and the music, it kind of feels like your soundtrack changes, right. um, even if you're singing it. And so the you, you can certain songs lend themselves to like going into your own headspace mm. as opposed to going out watching everybody and letting them do the work. Yeah. There's these other ones that flip it, you go in, and and then that um, performance becomes sort of like you feel like you're you're acting in some ways because but you're allowing the song to set the stage. Right. And all of a sudden you and the light and, and when you got a lighting tech is really good on your side. Right. You know, and you go, wow, oh wow. You know, and you can see the audience suddenly feel like and you see them yeah. respond to that very idea in their own way. That's really cool. Yeah. And you and it be, and there's an there's sort of a feeling of like a magic trick happening. Yeah. And that's the beauty of like live music. Yeah. That's the thing that I think you'd be hard-pressed to get in the digital universe um, because there is something about a collective of people where when you're when when the hairs stand up on your arm yeah um and you see you, and you see and you, or you, and you can all it's like if the hair stands up on the person five rows that way on yeah. their arm it might be happening you know there's something called there's like a collective unconscious going on yeah. in the space like you like i really do believe in that transference yeah. like i don't think it's hocus pocus it's yeah. it's it's a real thing i think it's a, a a hard thing to 
articulate and uh, you can't necessarily put science mm. to it. You can't apply a scientific lens to it. Yeah. It's certainly an emotional one. Uh, and yeah. to me, that's like beauty. So there's, that's in songs, any given song, if it allows you to do that, that's my favorite one that night. <laughs> the song that you can choose that makes the, and you don't know what it's going to be until you're doing it. Yeah, that's yeah. what's weird. You think, oh, this one's going to do what it did last night. I didn't do it tonight, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's a different song that did that thing that you thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, it's the exact same with jokes. Yeah, like, it's totally, it? right? Yeah, yeah, there's so yeah. many parallels. You think yeah. you're going to knock it, yeah. like, out yeah. of the park right here. Yeah, you think you like that, you're going to love this, and you're like, yeah. why is the yeah. why is this energy not? Yeah. And then something else that just comes out of nowhere, and yeah. boom. Yeah, and you make something up. Yeah. And this is one thing I'll just, like, swing it back to my band mm, for a second, yeah. or our band. Yeah. Uh, Dave and Chris are really great. Um, at at winging it, right. and we're not really we don't rehearse we rehearse but we don't mm. rehearse that much. In fact, months and months and months will go by, and then when we have something, it's like, well, we better grind off the rust. <laughs> but ultimately, that's just us getting together and winging it a little bit, yeah. so that we can get up on stage and do a version of that. That that improvisation where you kind of can feel like uh, that the audience feels like, oh, this is sort of happening. We don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. I think that's something I really cling to. And that's why we don't, like, we don't play with in-ear monitors or play to track. Yeah. And I'm not begrudging anyone who does that. There's other ways to create a magic spell. Yeah. But our version of performance has something to do with, yeah, okay, the song goes this way, but we really don't know what's going to happen yeah. at that way. If, you know, like, I, I, I use a lot of body language when I'm playing. Mm. I play guitar with my feet yeah. sort of the way I think of it. Like, if yeah. I move my feet a certain way, I'll bend the string a certain way. Mm. And I can see Dave sometimes at the kit watching me. And then I can, if I start gesturing something, he starts gesturing. Like, he, you can see him go. Yeah. And it works both ways. He starts doing something, and I can feel that and that push and pull. And then Chris is kind of on base. His job in the middle is off to sort of, like, kind of hold us while Dave and I kind of go like this, you know? Wow, that's incredible. Um, and to me, that is, like, a really, uh, that is one of our strong suits, yeah. um, uh, I think. Uh, I hope. I feel that, uh, at least... Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 uh, and so that to me is like what I'm uh, desperately sort of missing. Yeah. But I'll take this downtime to do other things. But I'm looking forward to that like shimmy, that weird, yeah. awkward thing that you know that turns into something <laughs> great. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And what are you, what are you listening to right now? Um, I've been. Let me think here. I've I, I've been enjoying and really impressed by the Fiona Apple record, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. That really, I uh, heard a couple tracks. I heard a song on the radio on CKDO. and was like, who's this? <laughs> oh, and so I bought that record and it was really, mm -hmm. really remarkable production and, and energy to it. It's really unique. Um, I, I tend to go back to older music. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of Marty Robbins playing in our in our house. Yeah, nice, you know? nice. That's a good call. Uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky. My son likes Marty Robbins. You know, it's funny. So we've heard a lot of Marty Robbins. Um, I figured a big big iron uh, on guitar, and we were singing that the other day. Um, what, there's a band from M Memphis, no longer a, a band, but that that part of the reason I went to Memphis was to work with a guy. Um, well, with this guy, Doug Easley, who had recorded this band, uh, The Grifters, yeah. who also had sort of a spinoff called Those Bastard Souls. And the, the main writer in Those Bastard Souls is a guy named David Shouse, and he was involved in my, on, on 44. Okay. Uh, he doesn't really play guitar or keys much anymore. He makes music using lights. He has this... Um, and so he triggers sound 
um, using uh, sensors, and as you close the light on a sensor, the pitch goes up or down, and it runs through effects pedals. Oh, it's one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Crazy. It's really neat. Um, but he had this great band called Those Bastard Souls. It was a big influence on me. Um, and so I, I mention them because I think it's, they made a record called Debt and Departure, which is mm -hmm. like one of my Desert Island discs, and I just keep going back to it. And more recently, when I was down in, well, when I was in Memphis, uh, and Dave was helping me on this recording, um, he said, oh, check, the, he said, hey, I'll play you some stuff you might have not heard. And so we went out to his minivan, and he played these Those Bastard Souls outtakes. Um, and uh, they were these songs I'd never heard, and they were so great. And then I just noticed they showed up on Apple Music. Uh, so I was like, okay, cool, so I can listen to this stuff that I've been introduced to. So I've been going back to that. Nice. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. And be sure to follow Joel on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Joel Plaskett. And go to joelplaskett.com to download his albums or better still, order them on vinyl. Further details can be found on the Edit website, maritimeedit.com. I will see you next time. Podstarter. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.